0: I, I, I just want to share with you. Someone tell me on the way here, I saw it on the way here, a video of Matasim Chasteire, Two nights before the Rebbe had a massive heart attack, massive heart attack. And um, the news that Chassidim were getting is, the is here, the is here, and that he's recovering. So it's Matzah Yomtev, and Freyd, Levi took Freyd, and he was a photographer. He used to come to Tishne and take photos. He went back to Israel. He made, a, he made a living out of it. He would do an expose. Um, films Matzah Simchastede. It's like six, seven minutes. First of all, you see everyone singing and dancing, and the person who put it up is writing, How was it that two days after the heart attack, the Chselim are singing and dancing? And you have the pictures of 7-7. And the first thing you see is, he makes videos of the Weibeshul. There's not one window, the entire Weibeshul, every single window is smashed out. There's not a single winner of the show. And then at some point, someone makes avdalah, And after Avdala, Rabbi Khadakov comes down, downstairs with the Rebbe's wine. And he gives people wine. And they, everyone distributes kesho bracha. Oh, and then at the very end of the clip, the whole thing is six minutes. It's, it's, it's gem story. I, I could send you the link, but you have, to have, you have to be registered. At the end of the six minutes, you actually have the Rebbe's voice. And the Rebbe spoke. I told you this morning that the Rebbe came out later in the evening, and he spoke, officially he spoke to for seven, five minutes, and the Rebbe spoke for about 20 minutes. There was a attitude, which I, I understand, that there should be a doctor by the Rebbe for 24 hours a day, there should be a doctor by the Rebbe. And there were not enough doctors. I mean, there were not that many, but there were doctors, but first of all, of doctors had to go home, a lot of doctors had practices, and they needed to find a team that could monitor the Rebbe the whole time with whatever rotation, but there'd be enough doctors to be able to pay attention to the Rebbe. If the Rebbe needs a doctor, there's always be a doctor ready in 770. Now, Dr. Weiss came, yomped it, like I explained to you this morning, and he had sent Rabbi Dr. Tischholz, and then Dr. Weiss came, and he continued treating the Rebbe. Dr. Weiss had to go back to Chicago at some point, Dr. Weiss, I have to tell you something. It, it hurts me, but he seems to look at it differently. Dr. Weiss says that as a result of the fact that he treated the Rebbe, to be very blunt, they threw him out of his practice. He was a member, he was a cardiac, looked a team of uh, heart doctors, and he missed so much time because he was here. that They threw him out of the practice. So he opened his own practice, and he says, I think I even once met him and asked him this. He says, oh, I was able to practice medicine the way I really wanted to. I said, what does that mean? He says, it means that if people can't afford to pay, they shouldn't pay. That was like the Rice's great Like the Rice had real Mercedes Nefesh uh, to look after the Rebbe. I, I, I think this is a fact, that because of the way he treated the Rebbe, and the amount of time he spent away from his practice, he was let go. And he opened up his own practice, and he, uh, he probably practiced medicine not the Yeh Mazer. He probably be a pretty good doctor. He'd probably a very good doctor. But he practiced by himself, and in, in Dr. the rice has no beard, but he's a chzadik. He's a very chzidish yid. When mean, you meet him, you see that he's very special. And he says the great good that came from treating the Rebbe is that he was let go from his practice and he was able to practice medicine as he wants. And I forgot if I saw it on a film or actually asked him. He says, The practicing medicine I want is that if people can't pay, they shouldn't have to pay. Like that Ambam, you know. The Rambam practiced medicine. The way he practiced medicine was that you didn't, there was no such thing as an appointment. You wanted to see him, you saw him that day. So it'd be a line. He wouldn't stop practicing until everybody saw him. And if they could afford it, they paid him. If they couldn't afford it, they couldn't pay him. And if, it was a medical, if there was a need for a medication and the people didn't have the money, he gave you the money to pay for the medicine. That's how that I'm on medicine. So Dr. Weiss was in his aid, but that's what he says. So they needed to get together some other doctors. So one of the, I don't know how this came to their attention, there was a person whose name was Dr. Resnick. He passed away very young. Doctor Resnick was a—he was—he was a uh, cardiologist. I think he was still like a resident. He was young. Doctor Resnick was a very, very smart man. He was very intelligent, I and mean, he can't be a legend. He was modern he's from. And Doctor Resnick was a—he was commissioned in the United States Army. He was practicing medicine as a medic. He was—he was—he was drafted into the army, and he was working for the United States Army. And he was stationed in Hawaii, and he, I think he knew something about hearts. Maybe he didn't, but he was a doctor. And he was the kind of person who could stay in 770 the whole time, because he didn't have a practice. He worked for the government. Problem was, so someone tracked him down. I don't know how they knew about him. And uh, they, they tracked him down, and they asked him if he would come to spend the time that they needed for the Rebbe to be monitored the whole day and the whole night. So he told them that he has a job. He works for the United States Army, and the United States Army is not going to release him. And um, he can't leave. He has a commission. If you work in the army and you work with the army, they put you in jail. So they reached out to his bosses and they said would he allow Dr. Resnick to leave and come to New York or to the Rebbe? And they said no. Now you, you, you understand that Lubavitch had connections in Washington. You understand that. But you also understand that Lubavitch did not use his connections in Washington like most from people did. Lubavitch used his connections in Washington to influence policy. In other words, other from groups if they have connections in washington use it to serve yourself the rebbe didn't really like to use his connections in washington to help himself he wanted to use his connections in washington to help yiddishkeit or even to help goyim which have a mitzvah but on this occasion i don't know how this all came down but um it went very high it went to the highest people in the united states military could have be went to the present Jimmy Carter was the president at that time. Now, mitzvah l'sna'isa. Everyone thinks you're supposed to hate Jimmy Carter. I don't hate Jimmy Carter for reasons I can't go at the moment. But Jimmy Carter was by far the most religious president in my lifetime. He was a truly religious man, and I, I don't know how directly he involved it was, but when it came up the ladder that they needed this Dr. Resnick to come and be in 770, the way I heard the story was. So a rabbi sick. So a rabbi sick, and he said, 24 hours a day of supervision. And they explained to him, this is not a rabbi, this is the rabbi. And someone doing the explaining compared him to the most important you-know-what. And they gave him permission. The United States Army allowed that reason not to leave his commission, not to leave the army. His commission was to be in 770. In other words, he worked in, for five weeks. From Simcha's Tale until the Rebu went home. He stayed in 770, he slept in 770. And he was, he was officially a member of the army, couldn't even pay him. And his commission was to be in 770 and look after the Rebbe. He came, he was a member of a larger team. He spent a lot of time with the Rebbe. Um, again, all of these details are vague, but 770 upstairs was locked. And the Rebbe, at some point, the doctor said the Rebbe has to, take, to do exercise. And the Rebbe used to walk, like in the middle of the night, he'd walk up into the hall. And like, the resident would walk with him. They would walk in the hallway together for exercise. And the, they would talk. I met Doctor Resnick, and um, I, I can't say I asked him a million questions, but I understood from him that during the time that he spent with the Rebbe, the Rebbe chatted with him about all kinds of things, and he got to understand the Rebbe's intellect. The Rebbe knew everything; he was just such a smart. He knew so many things, and Doctor Resnick was a pretty smart guy, and they talked about all kinds of different things, including medical issues. The Rebbe used to ask the doctors medical questions, and sometimes it wasn't negated in his case. He just was curious; he wanted to hear how they thought. And he'd bring up these issues that were very foreign to them and they'd have to think about it. They'd have to go and research it and look it up. And, and the Rebbe was challenging them during the course of the period of time that they spent with the Rebbe. But Dr. Dr. Resnick came here and he spent five weeks in 7-7 looking after the Rebbe and he basically became Mubavich. <laughs> um, but the, he, he developed a very strong relationship with the Rebbe that, which would last all the years. Um, this is one of the little details. They set up a, a, a rotation of doctors that the Rebbe should always have medical care. I already told you that they brought all these machines. Um, I had opportunity this afternoon to speak to some people and I I have some corrections about how the machines got here. But people took a lot of money and they did what they needed to do to get the machines to 770 and um, Derebbe basically had an an ICU in 770. Derebbe's treatment was no less than in a hospital in 770. the next morning the next morning the Rebbe asks for the mail that means <laughs> 48 hours 60 hours after the Harate the Rebbe asks for the mail now what was mail in the Rebbe's world? mail, I heard this from my uncle the Yom Klein, told me directly 400 letters a day and then he tells me that's not a lot 400 is not a lot the Rebbe opened four hundred letters a day, six days a week, and he opened them all himself and he read them all himself, and nobody helped him. Four hundred and it's not a lot. In other words, there were some days it was a lot more. And the Rebbe asked for the mail, and the doctors were sort of a little bit taken aback. And the, the, of course, the Rebbe didn't ask the doctors; they asked the secretaries. And the secretary says, the doctors, and the doctors went into them and said, you know, maybe they would rest a little. Actually, <laughs> they would rest. And the ever said, if I'm gonna rest, let's say I rest for two weeks, right? So in two weeks, I'm gonna have a collection of how many letters? If it's 400 letters a day, how many is it in a week? Huh? Twenty hundred a week. So that's 5,600 in two weeks or whatever it is, that uh, 80-something, 8,000 and change in three weeks. He's i gonna get sick from catching up. <laughs> I'm better off if I deal with the mail on a day-to-day basis. I don't know what happened. I don't know if they gave that the mail or not. Mm-hmm. But this gives you an insight into what was going on, that Eber really was pushing, that the doctors should let him continue his work, go back to his work. Um, I guess I should say this right now. In the last year or two, a book was published that's based on Rabbi Groner's, Label Groner's journal, his diary. Rabbi Groner worked for the rabbi for, 52, for 42 years, I mean, all the years of his adult life, and he worked incredibly, incredibly hard. But Rabbi Groner kept a journal from every day of all of these years. That journal is absolutely priceless. It's a treasure of treasures, and it's personal. There's probably names of people in there that uh, maybe you don't want people to know that your name is in his journal, For whatever particulars are. This journal is an incredible treasure. His children have it, and they're planning to publish portions of it, and they gave out one volume. But they're not just printing the journal. They're, they're, they're printing a history, so it's like pieces. In this first volume, there's a very, very long section, a very long section, maybe 100 pages, dedicated to this six weeks. From so the time that I had a heart attack, the I went home. And it's very detailed, it's very precise. And I read it this past summer, and I, I, I read it, I, I studied it, I didn't just read it. I don't read quickly, I read very slowly, and I, I read it in bed, so I end up reading the same pages over and over again, because I fall asleep and I forget where I'm holding. I, I read it, I think, relatively carefully. And are a few things that I want to share that I gained from this book uh, that I did not know. On the one hand, the Rebbe was a very difficult patient. You know, Every once in a while, the Rebbe would say, what I want is, I want to go back to my daily schedule, I want to make this never happen and not worry about it. And, and the doctors would say, Rebbe, you can't do that. You need to take care of your health, you need to recover, you need to allow your body to heal. But on the other hand, it seems to me that for an extended period of time, I would say as long as two months, even after Ashkodesh Kislev, Derebbe uh, was a good patient. He listened to the doctors. The details that are recorded involve such things as that they wanted Derebbe the to eat small meals, but many. To eat often. And Derebbe conf- made his schedule conform so that he would eat when the doctors told him to eat, and he would whatever the doctors needed him to do. One of the little details is that Derebbe said to him that when he eats, he feels the pain in his chest. So the doctor said that could either be from the heart or it could be reflux, it could be from the stomach. In the, the morning, before the Rebbe daved, the Rebbe would eat. When he wakes up in the morning, the Rebbe ate right away. So the doctor said the only way to, to, to determine whether it's coming from the heart or from the stomach is to not eat. And the Rebbe says, You want me to change a custom that has more than 50 years? <laughs> and then the Rebbe said, Do I have to change it permanently? They change it for one day. And that is to Change it for one day. And we'll see. If that heart pain comes, then we know it's from the heart. And if the heart pain doesn't come, then we'll know it's from the cave. It's from the stomach, from the fact that you're eating. So I, the end of the story is not there, but this is a little, little kind of story that you have in this journal. And the Rebbe was a very cooperative patient for quite a while. And then one day the Rebbe just said, that's it. He, d- he didn't make it official, but he just acted like he was done, he was done healing. And it, it seems like, again, from what I read and surmised, and it's just my uh, assessment, that for about two months the Rebbe was a really cooperative patient. We know that on the one hand, the Rebbe was very difficult to the doctors, and then Lemushal gave an example. The doctors didn't let the Rebbe eat any salt. So he stopped eating salt, and at some point the Rebbe said, I, I, need, I need some salt, I can, I need some salt. So they, they worked it out, you know. They made a compromise. The Rebbe had to have some salt. And things like this. Um, one of the most poignant stories about the Rebbe and the doctors, and I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's not on my list. I want to tell to you before I forget it, was that Pesach time, six months after the event, the Rebbe called in the doctors to say thank you. And the Rebbe told him something very interesting. It's interesting not because the Rebbe said it, but because it's who the Rebbe is. The Rebbe said, you did something for me that I could not do for myself. What the Rebbe was saying to them is, I'm a very self-sufficient guy. I don't let anybody do anything for me. And I do everything for myself. I don't, I don't need help. I'm, I'm one of those people, you know. This, I needed someone else to help me. And I guess you could say, and I let you help me. And you helped me, and thank you that, you know, I need people to help me every five minutes. <laughs> and the Rebbe said, I needed somebody, I, this I needed help with, and you helped me, and the Rebbe said, thank you. So there are little stories and anecdotes about this period that I want to share with you. Number one, the Rebbe wanted to speak. The Rebbe couldn't come downstairs, the Rebbe spoke from his room. So I told you, that the Rebbe asked the doctors to speak, the doctor gave him five minutes, he spoke for about 20. And that pattern would continue throughout. Shabbos benethez, the Rebbe spoke again. Shabbos Leach, the Rebbe spoke again. Shabbos, I think, vayei, the Rebbe spoke again. Chai Soder, for sure, the Rebbe spoke. The Shabbos. So we would come to 770, we would stand downstairs, and then we'd sit at his desk, in his room, and he would speak. So I was 12, and I didn't understand the word the Rebbe said. So the first couple of weeks, it was okay. It was 20 minutes, a half an hour. But within like two or three weeks, it was two hours straight. And it was worse than a fabrengen, because fabrengen, at least, there was the good him in the middle. He spoke. A oh, whole fabrengen beginning, without even stopping. The Rebbe said a maimed. The longest maimed the Rebbe ever said, he said from his room. And you can hear the tape. The maimed took, I don't know, an hour and 20 minutes. The sikh is over two hours, because the Rebbe basically crunched the whole fabrengen. sat in his office and just talked. I don't know how the doctors felt about it, but initially they gave the Rebbe a very limited amount of time to talk. And the Rebbe always pushed the limits. And then I guess a few weeks later, they gave him longer to talk, but he always talked longer than they expected him to. And they never found opportunities, found ways to talk to us. I remember coming to 770 and they were just, God, forgive me. It's so not nice to say, but they never spoke for two hours. And when you're standing and you're 12 and you don't know if someone's flying for two hours, after a certain amount of time, you, you, know, you go from fidget to mishuga, you know, <laughs> fidgeting you're doing right away. But they would talk and talk and talk and talk. One of the most interesting things is that Mamish, a few weeks after the heart attack, the Rebbe spoke about about land for peace, a topic which caused the Rebbe a lot of pain. And I look back and I ask myself, the Rebbe knew that talking about this subject could not be good for his heart, because it upset him so much. And the Rebbe spent one month of Shabbos for a very, very long time protesting the fact that they were quote-unquote giving away land for peace. The Rebbe didn't call it land for peace. The Rebbe called it land for a piece of paper. It really bothered the Rebbe. And a very short time after the heart attack, the Rebbe spoke about it. So this was the first thing. The first time the Rebbe came downstairs was Yutas Kislev. He came down here for Fabrengen. But for quite a while, for, for, a, for a bit, the Rebbe Fabrenged, uh, he, he spoke from his room. And at some point during that winter, it changed. The Rebbe started to come downstairs for Fabrengens. But instead of holding Fabrengens on Shabbos, the Rebbe held Fabrengens on Mata Shabbos. So the Shabbos Fabrengens... The Rebbe used the mic, which made it much, much easier for the Rebbe. And this went on for two whole years. 192 two whole years. 19, Lamed Ches, into Tav Over, for about two years and more, all the Shabbos Fabrengins were held after Shabbos. And by the way, you, you may have heard this, that Shabbos Fabrengens have a whole different tone. When the Rebbe was bringing on Shabbos, it was Hamish. And you can hear it in the Rebbe's tone. The much of Shabbos the Rebbe did during those two years, Lamed Ches, have that Hamish property. property you listen to those Fabrengans and you, you feel the warmth and the closeness between the Rebbe and the Hasidim, which we experienced um, on Shabbos Fabrengans um, the, the very very famous story is that the Rebbe was sitting with one of the doctors and the Rebbe asked the doctor um, what are the chances of, the, of, the, of it happening again and the doctor told the Rebbe there's a 25% chance that it'll recur. And the Rebbe sort of went into a trance. That's a fatracht. And the doctor wasn't sure if the Rebbe heard him. So he said to the Rebbe, Rebbe, did you hear what I said? The Rebbe said, yes, I heard. There's a 75% chance that it won't happen again, I had a Fabrengan earlier this week about Ashchedeh Kislev with some people. And when you talk about it, you think about it. And, and I think one of the ways of interpreting the way the Rebbe recovered from his heart attack is that what the recovered from his heart attack was ple- completely in concert with the Rebbe's approach to life. In other words, the way that Rebbe teaches us how to live is how he lived, but we got to see it. The Rebbe pushed himself as hard as he possibly could and he was incredibly positive. These two characteristics, which are foundational ideas in how the Rebbe teaches us how to live we saw that Rebbe practice himself during the course of his recovery from his illness. Now, I, wa- I want to tell you a story which didn't happen in kids Kids. It happened much before, but I think it's a story that I'll make a point. And, and I want to preface the story by saying, I heard. I heard means I don't know if the story is true, but I heard the story from a pretty good source, and I don't remember from whom, but with was a pretty good source. So I believe the story, but I have to be careful. To say, I heard so that I, if you lynch me, you should lynch me in the tree, which says, I heard. The i heard tree has very soft branches, so the chances are that'll break. When the rebbe became a rebbe, forty years, sixty years, or seventy years ago, I heard that the Rebotson called in three chassidim, and we know their names. And she told them the following: the Rebotson called the three chassidim. She said to them, all the rebbezins took care of their husbands; they looked after them. And I mean such simple things as when the Rebbe took a haircut, the Rebbe came to make sure the cut his hair right? When the tailor came to measure the Rebbe's capote the Rebbe came to make sure that he measured it right. When the tailor came to fit the capote the Rebbe looked after... When the, Rebison, the hat maker came to the Rebbe to measure the head by the Rebbe hat, the Rebbe had custom-made hats. The Rebbe's hats, uh, head size, was so large, there's no such hat on the rack. The Rebbe's hats were always custom-made. The fortune wasn't a big enough size in the stores. And the Rebbe came to make sure that the hat was measured properly and that it fit right and it looked right. She looked after the Rebbe and then she, f- she pushed and fed the Rebbe, and when she needed to, she made sure that the Rebbe were whatever medical union the Rebbe had. To. In the later years, they got people to help them, but for most of the years, the Rebetzin looked after the Rebbe. So the story was that the Rebetzin said to these three Hasidim, I will look after my husband. I'll take care. But there's another thing that the Rebetzins did. The Rebetzins knew when to tell their husbands it's enough. The Rebbe just knew when I tell the husband stop enough. You're pushing yourself too far. Stop. And she said, "That I won't do. That you have to do. I'm not going to stop him. It's on you." Now, I don't know why the Rebbe said it, but the Rebbe was impossible to stop. <laughs> it was impossible to stop. A, a, a friend of mine told me that there was a two chassidim, walking. One was walking out of seven seven, and one was walking in, and the Rebbe had fabreged like for days on end. And one said to the other, you know, <laughs> He said to his friend that the Rebbe is pushing himself, that was has to give his health, and he works so hard. If I for 10 hours. So the other one says, He <laughs> is fire. But the Friedrich Rebbe, there was always a who could say to the Friedrich Rebbe, stop, it's enough, stop, you have to give your health. This Rebbe is fire, you can't say a word. Now I have evidence, and it's flimsy evidence, but it's evidence, that if you went into the Rebbe's room privately and you told the Rebbe something, he heard you. If you went to the Rebbe in, in, in front of the people and said, you know, I think you should stop this, it's, it's very inappropriate and very disrespectful, but the Rebbe was very, very difficult to, to, to control, to you know, look after your health. You know, <laughs> There's a video of a Rabbi Yolas who had written the Rebbe a letter about the Rebbe sleeping. So Rebbe immediately wrote back a letter to him, explaining to him a whole cheshmer of how much sleep a person needs. And the way the Rebbe answered the letter was as if he was talking about his own sleep, not about the Rebbe's sleep. So there was a fabrengan. Rebbe Yals came to the Rebbe, and he walked over to the Rebbe, and he says, I hope I didn't offend the Rebbe by what I wrote. Offend me, the Rebbe says. I answered you right away. If you had offended me, I wouldn't have answered you. And then the Rebbe asks him, you think you could sleep that little and function? <laughs> so he, he tells the Rebbe, but I wrote it about that Rebbe's sleep so the Rebbe says I sleep a lot but he says it so convincingly the Rebbe didn't sleep at all it was very very hard to manage I heard and again these are all hearsays uh, the Rebbe once said my husband you can never tell you can only suggest and you get one shot meaning you can never tell him what to do but you can suggest maybe he should do something but if you suggest and he says no there's no second chance so you have, to be very, you have to be very, very, very strategic in what you choose to suggest it and how you suggest it. When the Rebbe had his heart attack, the Rebotson knew what to suggest. About. I mean, the biggest thing was, as I told you the story this morning, the fact that the Rebotson made it very clear that the Rebbe does not want to go to the hospital. He's not going to the hospital and she's not going to make him. But one of the things that the Rebotson did ask the Rebbe to do was well, the Rebbe always went to the oil erev reshchaidish, and he always went to the oil tezvav And the Rebbitzin asked the Rebbe not to go to the oil erev The Rebbitzin asked the Rebbe not to go to the oil, and the Rebbe agreed. I think the first time the Rebbe went to the oil was Chanukah. Two months later, They were missed a few oils. That day, that erev one of the doctors went into the Rebbe and said, "How's the Rebbe doing?" And the Rebbe said, "You mean physically or spiritually?" He said, "Physically, I'm feeling fine." spiritually disappointed because I can't go to the oil. This was one of the rabbis knew what she could expect the rabbis to cooperate on and what not and um, she asked the rabbis the Rebotson asked the Rebbe not to go to the island. and he didn't go. Now there's a letter. I, I, I think I mentioned this letter in the morning. I want to repeat this again. About a week after the heart attack the Rebbe wrote a letter. The Rebbe had a style of letter writing which was called klaliprati which means he would write one letter. He'd print many copies of it. And he would send the letter to many people. He would personalize it by writing each person's name in. And sometimes he would personalize it by writing a few words at the end. Mm-hmm. And then he would sign it. So the Kloliprati letter that Eber wrote for the beginning of Cheshven, of that year, Lamet Ches, was a letter about his health. And what he writes in that letter is, uh, thank you for the good wishes. He's responding to somebody else. And because... With the help of Hashem. Mm-hmm. And the help of my holy Zaydes, the Rabbein. And with the schus of the many people who daven for me, the Abish that helped me, I came back to my health, and I'm able to continue to do my work. This is mamish written a week or so after the heart attack. And I mentioned to you this morning that the Rebbe writes, the schus of the Tfilas And I, I think it's important to repeat that when the Rebbe had his heart attack, the moon and the Jewish were then was so empathetic, so supportive. All kinds of yidin david that the have a full It was not at all, not only it wasn't a thing, it wasn't a thing. Yiddin Nu. Now another story. And this other story I don't know I don't know what version of it is true. I've heard so many different versions and of course I like to believe the most extreme version but it's very difficult for me to know actually which version of the story is true. But uh, the story is Dr. Feldman, who passed away a while ago, was the Rebbe's doctor for many years. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Feldman never spoke. In other words, you had an easier time getting information about the Rebbe's personal life from the Rebbe's doc- the secretaries. Dr. Feldman never spoke. His kids heard nothing. He just didn't say. He was told not to speak. He didn't speak. Fatig. But one of the stories Doctor mm-hmm. Feldman told was the Rebbe talked to Dr. Feldman a lot about philosophy of medicine. And one of the things that the Rebbe spoke to him a lot about was the idea of positive thinking. Positive thinking. Um, that you have to, a, a patient has to be given encouragement that he could recover, which will help him recover. Positive thinking. So it was some kind of a fabrengen and uh, Dr. Feldman was there. Dr. Feldman hated the crowds and he hated the pushing. It wasn't his cup of tea. And there was a lot of simcha. And the Rebbe called over Dr. Rez, Dr. Feldman. And when he came over to the Rebbe, the Rebbe asked him, Dr. Feldman, do you appreciate my medicine? Do you like my medicine? That I means simcha. This story, I think I heard this from him. I think it's a true story. But there's another story. And I'm not sure when the story happened. And I'm not sure exactly how, what, what actually occurred. I, I've heard many different versions. The Rebbe said a Maimir. And I don't know whether it was Kislev or it was another occasion, the Rebbe said a Maimir. And the Rebbe was speaking. And the Rebbe's heart was an old man's heart. The Rebbe was 77 years old. And he looked like a 77 year old man. He looked his heart was old. And then when the Rebbe started to say the Maimir, his heart changed. I heard different versions about how it changed. One of the versions is that his heart became like a young heart, like a, young, like a healthy man. And for the duration of the Mahomet, the Rebbe's heart was normal. When the, when the Rebbe finished, the his heart went back to the same uh, disorder. There's different versions to the story, but one of the versions of the story goes is that Dr. Feldman was monitoring the, the heart, the machine, the cardiogram. And the Rebbe said the Maimit. and during the duration of the Mahomet, the Rebbe's heart looked unusually good. So after the Maimed, he pushed wanted to look at the Rebbe. He saw that something happened. So he walked into the Rebbe's room, he took a look at the Rebbe, and the Rebbe said to him, Dr. Feldman, do you like my medicine? Which is a In other words, the Rebbe indicated that he said a Maimir Hsidis, and that the Maimir Hsidis was a fool. I don't know what story is true, how story is true, but there's a story that I heard way back, all the way in the beginning, that there was a Meiser with a Maimir, and the Rebbe's heart being different. And, um, and, that, and it, it was some kind of understanding that the Rebbe spiritually healed himself. Um, and the Rebbe stayed in 770. And like I told you before, Rabbi Grone writes in his journals that uh, he, he was a good patient. He ate and they told him to eat. He slept and they told him to sleep. In Rabbi Grone's book, he writes, and I don't know, and the Rebbe slept a lot. During that month, the Rebbe slept the Rebbe almost never slept the Rebbe slept an hour or two a night during that period of time the Rebbe was covered with a heart attack the Rebbe slept so much that the Rebbe was worried the Rebbe was worried that the Rebbe was sleeping too much you know the Rebbe always worried the Rebbe doesn't sleep enough but the Rebbe healed himself he pushed it listen for a period of time again in my surmise it's about two months he pushed it healed himself he healed himself now the first time that Rebbe left 770 was not the Shredesh Kislev this is a big misnomer the first time that Eber left 770 not Anash Chedesh Kislev. The first time was a couple of days before. They were either Chavzayin or Cheshvin, I don't remember, but you could look it up in the journals. What happened was, is as follows. When the Friedrich Eber left Europe in 1940, 1940, he left his library behind in boxes. And he wanted them shipped to New York. He wrote letters that the, book, the books don't belong to me. They belong to the good city of America and Canada, and it's a priceless treasure of the Jewish people. And he asked the State Department to get the svarim to America. Um, the svarim did not come right away. I don't know where the svarim were during the war. I believe after the war, let's say 1946, maybe maybe earlier, the, the, the Firdek Rebbe's Library, which had been put away in boxes before the Rebbe left Europe, were delivered to 770. And when they would lure it to 770, they put it into the basement of 770. The basement of 770 with the Fiyadikarabah's library, and they loaded up bookshelves full of the Fiyadikarabah's Svarim. But not all of the cases arrived, not all of the Svarim arrived. In other words, there were 20 big crates, massive crates, either 18 or 19 crates arrived, and there were ones missing. The tragedy was the crates that were missing were the Kisviyad, were the manuscripts of Hasidus, were the irreplaceable, it wasn't Svarim, it was manuscripts of Chassidus Chabad, which is a terrible, terrible loss. A replaceable loss. Over the years, people would come into 770, booksellers with manuscripts, to sell the Lubavitch of Chassidus. And they would, booksellers, it's, a, it's, a, it's not an ethical business. They would burn the edges to make it look frayed, and they would charge you more money because they saved it from a the fire. They would take a book, rip it in half, and sell it to you as two volumes, and charge you twice. And the Lubavitch of Chassidus, with money, used to buy these kisviyat to give them as gifts to the Rebbe. And at one point the Rebbe said, don't do that. The Rebbe said, these are my books. These are my manuscripts. People were selling the Rebbe manuscripts that belonged to the Rebbe. And they began to realize that the Ksavner that had not arrived in New York are extant. They, they're someplace. And they found them in a library in Warsaw, Poland. the library in Warsaw, Poland, was a huge collection of the Rebbe's Kisvayat, going back till the Alter Rebbe. So in 1974, the Rebbe sent Nissim Mendel, And to Poland to examine the southern. And they microfilmed them made a picture of every single page. Mm -hmm. And they started to print from these manuscripts. And then began a huge negotiation with the Polish government about the Polish government giving them back to us. And the agreement, Polish government was communist in those days. And the agreement was that they would give the Rebbe back to Ksovim. it's officially a 99-year loan, if Lubavitch would put full-page ads in three very important American papers thanking the Polish government for their assistance in the matter of the Ksovim. So there was a full-page ad of f- American Friends of Lubavitch in the New York Times, in the Washington Post, and the Los Angeles Times, full-page ads, thanking the Polish government for their assistance in retrieving the Svodim. The Svodim arrived in America after the heart attack. And the Rebbe went to see them. The walked from 770. He walked down the steps to the library. He went to the library, no, and the Rebbe no. stood for quite some time. Again, I, I read Rabbi Groner's journal, which we didn't have until now. The Rebbe was a bit disappointed that they hadn't prepared it better, because there were two types of manuscripts. There were manuscripts which were copies, and there were manuscripts which were originals. Kisvei Yad and the Rebbe understood that he's going to the library to look at the Kisveyad Koydish as the original handwriting of the Rabbeyim. And when he came there, it was just a mess. There was a boxes of Kisfeyad. And the Rebbe starts looking through them. The Rebbe knew these Yad because he had worked on them in Poland. The Rebbe used to work on the Friedrich library, uh, uh, indexing the, the manuscripts and so on and so forth. And the Rebbe knew what they were. And the Rebbe spent some time looking at them. And I, from what I read, he felt like he wanted to see the holy hand of the Rabbeyim, not just Azoi, but. Other people say, and other people have repeated, that when the Rebbe went into the library and he saw those Khzavim, you could watch him heal. It was like huge. It was a huge, it was a windfall. For the Rebbe to get the Khzidis back was a very big deal, and it, it, you could see how it affected his health in a favorable way. Now, it was clear that the Rebbe is feeling better. It's time to go home. The Rebbe was living in his room, 24 hours living in his room. And as I mentioned to you this morning, while the Rebbe lived in his room, the Rebbe lived upstairs. She slept in her grandmother's bed, which is the second bedroom of the Filiq Rebbe's apartment. And it was decided that the Rebbe should go home to And the understanding was that the Rebbe is going home to because it's a good day. Because it's a good day to And somehow the rumor got out that the Rebbe is going home. Somehow the rumor got out that the Rebbe is going home. As soon as the rumor spread that the was is going home, people started coming to 770. And the Rebbe looks out the window, there's hundreds of people dancing and singing and drinking, and they took it to say potatoes. They start doing akafas like at Simcha's table, don't ask. And the Rebbe says, what's this? And somebody had told him, well, maybe someone must have told people that the Rebbe's going home. So the Rebbe says, you know what, I'll wait in my room for the noise to quiet down, and then I'll go home. He said, no, 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 every minute's going to get more noisy. <laughs> if you want to go home with less noise, go home now. So the Rebbe went home. And the dancing continued uncontrollably, they, they spilled cases of mashke. It was an incredibly exciting evening because the chesidim equated the Rebbe's going home with the Rebbe's recovery. One of the sweetest parts of this story, one of the really sweetest parts of this story, is you need to understand something. The Rebbe Tz'rchayim Moshka, she was the Rebbe's wife. She was never in 770. She was never at a Fabrengen. She was never at a Davening. The Rebbe didn't come to Shul for Yiske. The Rebbe Tzachayimushka did not go to shul for years, Now, we, we, people say, and it makes sense to me, that the reason the Rebbe didn't do that is because it would have made her older sister very jealous. But the Rebbe never saw the Rebbe. The Rebbe was busy in 770, fabrenging with Sidim, talking to chesidim, and vavling The Rebbe never witnessed it, never. She, was never, she never saw how HaKafas looks. She never saw her his mother, the Rebbe's mother, had a front row seat in shul and she was always participating in what the Rebbe was doing. The Rebbe's wife never came to 770. On this one occasion, the Rebbe went home and she stayed behind to watch. And she sat at the front window on the second floor looking out on the street and she was so excited. She was, she, some will say she didn't realize how much Chassidim loved the Rebbe until then. That was almost 30 years at Rebbe. And she kept on saying in Russian, maladets, you know, it means she was, she was just so happy to see the outpouring of love that there was to the Rebbe. She had never seen it. And she stayed for a few hours after the Rebbe went home to push it, and watch, and to enjoy the Chsidim celebrating the Rebbe's recovery. Anyway, the Rebbe continued doing his thing. Um, I mentioned to you already that I, to, from what I'm reading, until Chanukah time, the Rebbe was a very good patient. The first time I saw the Rebbe was Yutesh Kislev. But I, I, I think, I think, I think that they started making a minion for the Rebbe in the small shul upstairs. And if I'm not mistaken, it was by invitation only. In the very beginning, they only a few people. The were going to the shul for Klias Hatayra, maybe for Mincha I don't know exactly when all these things started up. But after a certain point, they started to bring the Rebbe back to his regular schedule of of going into shul for Min Ma'ariv and for Klias Hatayra and so on. But the first time I saw the Rebbe, it was Kister. It was Kister. Rebbe came downstairs and was a fabringen. I was a stupid twelve-year-old, and I had one, I looked at the Rebbe. I wanted to see if he looked different. He didn't look any different, but his, his body was in a very very different space. Um, so of course, Doctor Resnick tells the story. Doctor Weiss tells the story, that he and Doctor Resnick had pretty good seats. They're very close to the Rebbe, near the front. On their lap, underneath the bench, was a, a monitor, a cardiogram. The Rebbe was connected to a, a remote monitor. They didn't have wires. It was uh, wireless, which was in those days a huge deal. And they were monitoring the heart. And what Dr. Weiss says is the is sitting in Fabrenging, and the heart is not doing well. It's not doing well at all. And these two young doctors, they were both young, had a critical decision to make. They were in a position to get up and walk over to the Rebbe and say to the Rebbe, you have to stop. And they were tempted to do it. They are watching the Rebbe's heart. The Rebbe's not doing well. But they also understood that if they get up and walk over to the Rebbe and ask the Rebbe to stop fabrenging, the, the Rebbe's not going to fabreng again. So they had to carry the responsibility of letting the Rebbe Fabring. like the wife says this in the video, bearing the responsibility of chas Hashan, what could happen if the Rebbe's trying himself too much. The bottom was the Rebbe Fabreng, the Fabrengen finished and the Rebbe was fine and he left. And again, I think Dr. Weiss also something, something happened when the Rebbe said the Maimir. But what I remember from that Fabrengen was they were sitting right near up front and the Rebbe of course asked them to say l'chaim. The Rebbe used to often ask important people to say l'chaim with a smile on his face. And the Rebbe turned to Dr. Weiss and he raised his hand that Dr. Weiss said l'chaim. But he took his left hand and he put it on his pulse <laughs> as a gesture, you know, you're my doctor. Say Lechaim as a doctor, and he said lechem. Of course, Doctor Weiss was such a chassidish yid. I mean, whenever you saw him, he was so he participated in what was happening here. Oh, I forgot to tell you one story that Mendel Groner tells. That when everyone went home, when everyone went home, everyone danced. It was non nonstop. He walked into the room where Doctor Resnick was was living. Doctor Resnick lived in seven seventy. Doctor Resnick was an intellectual. He was a brain person, yeah. and he walked into the room, and Doctor Resnick was poshut sitting and crying. He saw the emotion; it got to him. He was sitting and crying. The next day, <laughs> the Rebbe said to Doctor Ro- Doctor Resnick, "You know, last night everybody danced except for two people—you and me." He said, "The difference is, if I would want to dance, you would stop me. <laughs> Otherwise, I would dance. But no one was stopping you from dancing. Shabbos, you should make up for it." So when the next Shabbos happened, the the way the story goes Dr. Rolstein made sure to make up for the fact that he hadn't danced. Okay, now the end of the story, of course, is um, Chanukah comes. And again, I'm reading Rabbi Groner's journal and I'm having a difficulty figuring out the exact dates. But from what I am understanding, there was a plan for the Rebbe to go to the oil end of Chanukah and he didn't go. He went out of I could be wrong, but that's how I understand it. But... Uh, Tavis. A few days later, out of Chanukah, it's five days, it's the difference. Here's the fact as soon as Chanukah hit, the Rebbe was no longer a patient. One night, the Rebbe is giving Chanukah yelts. He stands by the back door of 770 he comes down, stays with Mirchamayrev, he's giving Chanukah yelts. And people freaked, the, the doctors freaked out, the mosquitoes freaked out. David Raskin tells the story that he was, a, he was, he was Vada Masadi and he's telling people, don't go, don't go, the Rebbe's not well, don't go. And the Rebbe turns to David Raskin, Harav David Raskin, looks straight at him and says to him Yiddish, how do you know what's the best thing for my health? Maybe if my health is dark, I should speak, I should give these dollars. And the Rebbe gave him a dollar and said, go. The Rebbe told his secretaries, take a dollar and go, today there's no refour. He made the, the secretaries leave. I could handle myself, go. He told Rabbi Groner, go. He told Rabbi Chanekev, go. He stood, there and gave. These videos of it, standing by the back door, so said, giving out dollars. It's night or around the night. I don't know which night it was. But of course, the culmination of it was, was oh, yes. Zeis Hanukov. So I, 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 I have the tape, and I actually sent it. A lot of people asked me for the tape. People didn't know this, but Rabbi Yankilhek tells the story. It's 12 minutes long. And I sent it out to a bunch of people. I actually put it up on my website. I probably should ask permission. Um, the Yang Hecht tells the following story. That on Zayi's Chanukah, calls him in the morning, about 11 o'clock in the morning, and he says to him, And he laughed. I'm looking for a person knows that I keep a secret, and I found you, and he laughed. Because Rabbi Hecht was a big but he was the secret keeper. And he said, I want to make a Fabrengen today. I don't want to wash. I don't want to bench. And I want to give Kesha Baruchov to make up for some chaster that I couldn't do these things. But I don't want anybody to know until after Minchil, until the afternoon. So he says, Can I tell the secretaries? And I just told you, I would like to know. Can I tell the office? I just told you. Can I tell the Bach of Maristan? And the Rebbe says, Tell him the Bach of Immaristan is like announcing it to the whole world. Can I tell my brothers? You can tell your brothers. So Avram came, and I think Peretz came. He said Peretz came. He walks out of the Rebbe's room, label grown, wants to know what. Yanka, what's this? They're the same major, when you are it together, the label says to the goes, No, what was that? He says, nah, not in pastel business. He says, label gardener doesn't forgive me for not telling him. Anyway, so he went to the bakery. It was a little week. He says, listen, you, you should make chals out of Shabbos. Make chals today. Hundreds of built to feed everybody, and no one's going to bring chal to 770. Nothing was a surprise. And then he went to a liquor store, and he bought wine. He had the 770, but he had to buy vodka. Because the Rebbe used to give out pint-sized pint-size bottles to all the Shluchim and to all the Askonim. So, we got a couple of cases of this here, vatya. And there's a little story attached to it. The story was that he, he knew he had a friend who had a liquor store, Yankel Hecht, had a friend at a liquor store. And he goes into this man, and the man tells him, You know, my wife has cancer. My wife is Yana Machle. But my wife is a personal affair. And the Rebbe is everybody. So it's much more important that the Rebbe should have a full or than my wife. And then he tells Rabbi Hecht, it's on the house. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. I'm giving you the mashke for free. Anyway, he comes. Uh, he, p- he puts the challah in his car. He puts the mashke in his car. He doesn't tell it except his brothers. The only people he called was, he called Betel Eunuch. Bethel Eunuch was in charge. of said, now the tablecloths, and he wanted him to be there to, so the, the, to set it up and to give the Rebbe wine and so on. But otherwise, it was, the Rebbe sprung it on the mosquitoes. The Fabrengen was announced so close to the Fabrengen, there was literally no time to stop it. The happened, the Rebbe came downstairs. The Fabrengen was very short uh, uh, maybe an hour, now hour and a half. I don't know how long it was. I was in Ocean Parkway, and they put us on buses It's not just the Crown Heights. But by the time we got here, it was very Keshav Brach. It was not a very long Fabringen. And they were washed, they were benched, and they were gave Keshav the next day, Rabbi Hecht went into the Rebbe because the Rebbe wanted to pay for everything, and he told the Rebbe, amongst other things, that the liquor store said it's on the house, and the Rebbe insisted on paying it. So he told the Rebbe what the man said. That the man said that my wife is ill, but my wife's illness is a personal affair. The Rebbe's illness is a cloud. and it's more important that my, the Rebbe should have a than my wife. So the Rebbe says to Rabbi Hach, the Rebbe has enough health for me and for his wife. And she recovered. She recovered supernaturally. And then Rabbi Hecht tells the Hemshchassi <laughs> that he had invited his brother, Avram. And after the Fabrengin, Avram says, I want you to know, Yanko, this Fabrengen was the Sudha This was the Rebbe celebrating his recovery. And we had the schus to be there. And they sat down together and they wrote a letter to the Rebbe, very heartfelt, thanking the Rebbe for the opportunity to participate in his Sudha Seydur. Beautiful, very, very warm hearts expressing to the Rebbe their gratitude for everything and for this. And the Rebbe wrote back, Tach Tach, thank you, thank you. I have the, you can see the, the typed. Look at in the introduction to the Zayir. So Yankel calls J.J. calls of Ram, his brother of Ram, and says to him, the Rebbe's answer was Tach Tach, HaGdamas So Avram says, pick up a Zayir, come to the house, let's learn. HaGdamas Zayir is many, many pages. But in that there's a story. But I want to tell you the whole story, not just the end of the story. The whole story is it was a yid named Abkhir. Abkhir was one of the greatest tamid in Abshimba Yechay. And it was a little while after Abshimba Yechay passed away, and Abkhir was really upset. And he's walking, and he's basically cursing the earth. He's angry at the sand. Mm-hmm. He says, Earth. How much chutzpah that you had! that all the tzaddikim was swallowed up and ground up by you, that you ate up the holy candle. In, in Zaya, the Rashbi the, the, the is called uh, the holy candle. And Rabkir is lamenting the fact that Shebechai passed away and that he was swallowed up by the earth. Then it says, Rabkir became confused. And as I always tell you, confusion is a sign of intelligence. The confusion means he went up to a higher madrege, and then he changes. Earth, don't be proud of yourself. You did not swallow up Shimon. Ab Shimon is not within you. And he got this whole emotion where he says the Earth did not swallow up Shimon. That's how the story starts. And then it says Ab says, "I want to see him." The passed away. And at the beginning of the story, he said that the Earth swallowed him. And then he says, "No, no, the Earth didn't swallow him. We have to see him. How am I going to see him?" He fasts for 40 days. Rechir fasts for 40 days, hope it's At the end of the 40 days, he's told by I don't know who's in charge of giving messages. Sorry, sir, you're not going to see him. So he fasts 40 more days. At the end of the next 40 days, he sees Yip Shimon. And Ab Shimon is repeating Advantaidah that him and Abyasi, who were both physically alive, had been discussing. It's interesting. Yip Shimon, in and Gah was repeating that they had been discussing. And then the way the story goes, Abshimon goes up like an elevator, it goes from one world to another world. And Abchia goes with Abshimin to the highest heights, the Mesifta de Derekir. And all the Sadikim come there, especially the, the big Sadikim that showed, who I mentioned my name, are Mashiach, Achia HaShiloni, and Chizkiyahu HaMelech. They join Abshimin in his Hechel. And uh, there's details written about each one. And uh, Mashiach. Is speaking, and suddenly Mashiach sees a man of flesh and blood at the feet of Rabshiman. Shimon. this is a So Reb Mashiach said, to says Shimon, who's this? How does the man with a goof end up here in Gan Eden? And Reb Shimon says, "No, no, no, no. He's special. He's paim of He's one of those people like it says in Tanya Peidik It's that zayyeh. Man Khain. It's from this story. Rabbi Chia is a Taddek alien. he's a Madrego B'nai Aliyah, he's perfect and whole, and he's a lot of being on Eid Munaguf. So Mashiach says to Shemayechai, Ebezei, let him stay here. Let him come here with his kids, and let him park, and he'll join us in our Hebra. And Rabbi Shime says, No, 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 he has to go back. Give him time. And Mashiach gives him time, and Rabbi Chiyah leaves. And he goes out of Gan Eden and he cries, and he, he speaks about how lucky Rav Shimon is. This is the whole story. So the story has a beginning. The beginning is that Tabchiyah says, Ya'ankal havinu makes. that's how it starts. Reb Shimon's alive. And he goes and he finds his Rebbe, and then they give him years. So Ya'ankal tells this story. He doesn't tell all of it. tells the end of the story. And then he gets very excited. He starts screaming, and he says, you call me crazy. He says, what, what, what's, what's written in the Zayah? That this time came. And they gave him years, and that's what happened to the Rebbe. The Rebbe told us, look up the Zayat." The time came and they gave him years, which is pretty crazy. It's an am- sugar am- I heard that in Shrat time, a month or two after this, Labor Grona went into the Rebbe. And the Arab the Rebbe says to me, You know, Teres, at night when I was sleeping, every fifteen minutes he kept walking into the room. Why were you walking in? And the reason Label was walking in because the doctors told Label that uh, the is not going to make it through the night. So the Rebbe says to Label, I know why you're walking in. I know why you're walking in. Look at me now. <laughs> Look at me now. I'm alive and well. Mm-hmm. The Rebbe's recovery is <laughs> It's Namish. The Rebbe's heart was so severely damaged and he went back to such full function. At some point during that winter, the Rebbe started to dive it upstairs. I remember... The Rebbe Daven. He didn't come downstairs for Shachris, even Shabbos. So there was a there was a rotation. Every every of Shabbos was a different letter. The Aleph base. All the Alephs got one tefillah, All the bases got another tefillah. You got everyone got to turn to Daven in the Rebbe's room upstairs. My father, I think, went upstairs for one of the twills. I didn't go. He didn't. He just adults. I don't know. Kids were not allowed in. But the Rebbe Daven in a small shul for that winter, until Pesach. I think by Pesach the Rebbe was already coming downstairs. I remember the Favrenger, the the Pesach because it was the first time. The Rebbe Fabreng after the heart attack without a mic. He I bring Yeralef I think he I put Purim, I think even Yutrat for Kislev, but that was on a mic. The first Fabreng without a mic was Pesach. I would say from what I understand that for the three years the Rebbe was nice to himself. Lametes Mem. By the time and Yeralef came, which was Hakel, it was over. The Rebbe was completely back, and he wanted no achmonis. The Rebbe complained that people. Our the Rebbe said people who don't go for Keshavrachah or for Lekach are, he used a very strong expression. Fools, Shaitim, they're not going for Lekach. And that Tishrei, Shalom is here or not, that Tishrei, Zalman Jaffe was here, and he went to Yechidus to the Rebbe. And the Rebbe said to him, that he understands that people are not coming to him for lekach and for dollars and for keisha bracha and other things, the Rebbe, the Rebbe's health. And the Rebbe said, if you want me to live, show that you need me. I want to give lekach, or I need to give lekach, I need to give keisha bracha. But the Rebbe told Zaman and Yechidahs that this business about not bothering him is a big mistake. Show that you need me, it's good for me that I should give you lekach and Kesha bracha and matzah, whatever else the Rebbe was doing. And the Rebbe made it clear that he didn't want people not to go because of his health. But the, for the first couple of years, the Rebbe, like I said to you before, he a little bit was nice to himself. I also mentioned to you that for two years, the Fabrenians of Shabbos were held months of Shabbos. And then at Tavshimem, then went back to Fabrenian Shabbos as well. And um, that's continued, that's the story. Of the Rebbe's recovery from his illness. And uh, one year, I think it was Test, the Roshcheidosh Kisiv is our Yomtev. We made it into a tif, not the Rebbe. That first year when the Rebbe went home, the Rebbe arranged it to be Shedish. He waited to go home the Roshcheidosh. But we, we celebrated it and we began a Every year Roshcheidosh Kislev would be a big in 770. They'd really serve a meal. They'd serve challah and fleishiks. It was a big deal. And they had speakers and they'd write it into the Rebbe. The Rebbe got nachas from it and so on. And one year the Rebbe said, Barabab, he said, Good Yomtev it's good it's good khadish, it's khidish but they said good tef, even though with the yamtiv that we made, the Rebbe now did this date Git Yamtiv. And just to close, a, a little bit of advantage. Khadish Kislev is called the Khsidish Khadish. It's a Hasidic month. Everything about this month is Khasidish. Khanik is a Khsidish Yamtiv because it's about Shemin and about Mr. Nefish. Yet Kislev is a kidish yamtav and is a ksiodish yamtev. So all khsidish is in in chaydish Kislev. The Rebbe is connected to two days in Khid Kislev. Rosh Chedesh Kislev and Tezvabah Kislev. He got married, Yedal Kislev, right? But the Rebbe's wedding was late. The Rebbe got married in the the middle of the month. And the Rebbe's official date of recovering from his heart attack is the first of the month. So the Rebbe has a sikh in Nun Beis where the Rebbe talked about the question of which is more important, the first day of the month or the 15th day of the month. The 15th day of the month, the moon is full. But the first day of the month, the moon is born. And uh, we, in, 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 in terms of Hasidus, in Kabbalah, there's, there's a mile in each. And it's, it's, it's far more than coincidental that the, the Rebbe's Chassan is in the middle of Chedesh Kislev. And the Rebbe's Chag Abrius, if you will, the Rebbe's, the day we celebrate the Rebbe's Gesund, is Resh Chedish. And in is the Rebbe connected it to Mashiach. The Rebbe says, Mashiach is, is born. Motosadat is a Metzir. And the mitziyav of Mashiach is like the moon. The moon disappears completely, and then it's reborn. Okay, kindle and That's it. I don't know. I'm, I'm only here for an hour. I gotta go. But I'm if for bringing a whole night. I don't know where he disappeared to. Huh? Oh, I'm